0: What is going on folks back at it again with a 20th and Blake podcast been a little bit of a hiatus lately I've I was in uh, California covering the Dodgers and San Fran series wasn't able to take the mic on the plane Unfortunately, just didn't have the room for it And then this last Dodgers series. I actually took a couple days off first I mean, it seems like first stretch of the year. I've had off in a while Um, So I had to get recharged had to get a little, you know rebooted for the all-star break i will be heading to cleveland you know enjoy the home runner be enjoy the game big rockies contingency most uh position players of any team there um so really excited for that experience um i will have some articles going up during the break on milehighsports.com but be sure to check in um and look at all of our other content from now until the break um we have some good articles going up pretty much daily Um, Have an off day tomorrow, um, and then the Rockies will play the Diamondbacks in Arizona to complete their um, quote-unquote first half. Obviously, it stretches a little more than just the first half of the season, Um, but just their pre-All-Star break uh, slate of games. Um, Right now, looking pretty good. I mean, the Rockies, I, I mean, I don't know what more you can ask for from them with the bullpen problems they've had to deal with, with the rotation problems they've had to deal with. Um, it's kind of hard to ask for anything more, and especially Charlie Blackman. Uh, comes out today, he was named the NL Player of the Month. Last month, probably could have been argued it was Nolan Arenado. Um, Josh Bell was able to take it home, but this, this month there wasn't much of an argument. I mean, he hit 412, um, scored 30 runs, 7 doubles, 2 triples, and he had 10 home runs, um, which is significant because he's the third player in franchise history to hit at least 410, slug at least 835, and have 10 home runs or more in a single calendar month next to Todd Helton in 2000 and Larry Walker in 1997, that illustrious MVP campaign. um, So just an insane month from him. Um, talking to him about the award, I mean, he's he's pretty stunned that he was able to put a... Put a uh, put a month like that together. Bud Black, on the other hand, wasn't very surprised. He said, "Man, when Charlie gets going, he's on every pitch. He's on the fastball. He's on the breaking ball. He's on the off speed. He's hot. he's on it all. So he really thinks that that's kind of the catalyst for him being successful. Is, I mean, just no matter what he's going thrown when he's when what he's getting thrown when he's hot." Um, just, I mean, there's just no way to stop him also got a player of the month or a player of the week, excuse me, during June. Um, so took home two awards for the month. Um, he had that four game series against the Padres, which he had the most hits in a series of four or fewer games in the modern era, 15 hits. So just an absolutely historic month. And coincidentally, the guy who won it on the AL was DJ LeMahieu with the New York Yankees. Now, obviously, the seven-year second baseman of the Colorado Rockies. Um, if you ask the players, you know they really miss him. But he hit 395 in 25 games in the month of June. 45 hits. Um, he had eight. What he had 16 extra base hits. Uh, 29 RBIs. He also won a Player of the Week, his first. Um, during the month of June. Um, so just, I mean, just a fantastic month. He had a six-game multi-hit streak. Um, that was the first for a Yankee since Beltron did it in 2014. Um, and his 35 multi-hit games were the most for a Yankees player across the club's first 82 games of a season since Alfonso Soriano, heavy bat Soriano in 2003. Um, and he also ended the month on a 12-game hit streak. Um, just absolutely ridiculous numbers. Um, and it got me thinking, okay, so if you look at the contracts, DJ LeMayhew and Daniel Murphy were even, obviously Daniel Murphy's has a team option, I believe in the third year. Um, so not a completely identical contract, but as of the first two years, it's two for 24, um, completely identical. And it got me thinking, okay, well, Daniel Murphy was brought in to play first base Ryan McMahon could have played first base if they brought DJ LeMayhew back as opposed to Daniel Murphy. Um, so looking at the numbers, I mean, on the year, DJ LeMayhew's hit .341, um, top mark in the AL. Daniel Murphy's at 277, and that is actually interesting because Daniel Murphy's um, expected batting average is far lower than his actual batting average, which tells you that he's actually gotten kind of lucky with that 277. Um which seems abnormal for a guy that's hit almost three hundred his entire career um d j LeMay he has hit three hundred he's at three oh one for his career um and i it's it's really hard to it's really hard to compare the two because Daniel Murphy missed a good chunk of time with that finger injury um who's to say how much that played into you know his lack of success for a large portion? But it really brings to mind the arguments that were made about DJ LeMahieu while he was a while he was a Rocky. I mean, in his last season in 2018, um, it was I mean it was pretty. It, the numbers were pretty lopsided. He hit 229 on the road, hit 317 at home. Um, the slugging percentages were pretty similar, but the on base oh what on the road was 277, uh, 360 at home. So there was a very valid argument buried in there that, okay, maybe he is completely benefiting from that, you know, course field that every player seems to get discounted somewhat for. So he was benefiting from that. but now this year, he's hitting 346 on the road, 335 at home at Yankee Stadium, uh, 402 on base at home, 370 away. Um, he's just been astronomically better than really any year he was with the rockies even um and it shows you that a guy like that that can consistently put the bat on the ball so often um not a strike not a huge strikeout guy that's just not his you know it's not his game he struck out only 50 times this year total um walked 24 times that's obviously excluding tonight's result um but just i mean he's been ridiculous and i think that I think that that narrative about him that okay he's you know a course field product I think that's passed by a little bit. I think that for him to for him to overcome that he almost had to leave and it actually sparked up memories of a conversation I had with Chris Giannetta. He was talking about I was talking to him about David Dahl and kind of the bias towards Rockies players and kind of how Um, both the media and the fans kind of respect Rockies players less and kind of the West Coast in general, less than say, you know, the Eastern Seaboard type teams. Um, And the interesting example he brought up was Mike Trout. Obviously, Chris Iannetta played with Mike Trout when he was on the Angels. So knows him pretty well, practiced with him, played with him. You know, if anyone knows Mike Trout it's going to be a guy that played with him like Chris Iannetta did and he said if Chris Iannetta was with the Yankees if he was with the Red Sox if he was with anyone on the east coast he would be going down right now as probably the best player ever he's never seen a player hit like that before and i mean frankly i don't know if anyone has seen a hitter hit like that before that you know is still living um mike trout is just ridiculous and to see what he's done, and he gets his exposure. He'll be on, you know, the MLB Instagram. He's on, you know, MLB's Twitter page. He's on TV constantly. But to even imagine the type of publicity he could get in a large market, not like New York, is just—I mean—it's mind blowing. I can't even—I can't even fathom what that would be like for, you know, him as a player, for him as a, you know, just multi-million dollar mogul. I mean. Just got paid over $400 million by the Angels. I can't even imagine what that paycheck could have looked like from the Yankees. You know, a big market team, good TV deal, you know, the works. Um, And it also, in that same conversation, he brought up stadium as well. He brought up Mike Trout and the bias he's almost faced. Obviously, you know, no one says that Mike Trout's bad. But he says, you know, he'd be a god if he was on the East Coast. And he also said that there are far better ballparks to hit in than the Rocky Stadium. And he brought up the Yankee Stadium where D.J. LeMahieu's at. Obviously, Yankee Stadium has that very short right porch. Um, I mean, it's very well known. It plays almost like a Little League ballpark, that right field porch. And then he also brought up Fenway, the left field wall. He says... He said, you know, it's those stadiums are ridiculously easy to hit the ball out. They're ridiculously easy to hit the ball out at Yankee Stadium and also get extra base hits and just regular hits off the wall at Fenway. Um, Also brought up Cincinnati Great American Ballpark. Said it's an absolute launching pad. And then the the getting-to-be-more-well-known park is um, Brewers Park. I mean, where the Brewers play, just... I mean, Miller Park is absolutely ridiculous in the way that it helps hitters. If you ask any hitter, they will talk about the batter's eye that exists at, Bre- at Miller Park. I mean, it is absolutely gigantic. There is no obstruction whatsoever. In cores, you have, you know, the trees, stuff like that. Other ballparks have other, you know, obscurities in front of, you know, their batter's eye. There is nothing in Milwaukee. It is completely un. It's completely uncovered. So you have probably the best line of sight of any park, and you see a guy like Christian Yelich put up the numbers he's putting up. I mean, he's starting to get close to breaking history. I mean, he has 31 homers, I believe, this year. Um, just absolutely ridiculous. And most of his damage, he's done at home. At home, he has hit tw- he's hit 21 of his bombs at home. 10 on the road he's driven in 43 he's hit 373 at home and that's not to discredit kristen yelich because he has been ridiculous i mean on the road he's hitting 290 um slugging 562 he has an ops of 941 on the road i believe that'd be higher than just about any rockies player um on the entire roster just for his road splits at home he's at one, he's at 1,371, um, you know, there's it's almost impossible to beat a number like that. Um, and he's just, I mean, he's been absolutely fantastic. And it makes you wonder, do players actually look at that type of stuff? Do they look at, okay, yeah, course field is, you know, you're going to get your hits, there's going to be the high-scoring games. Um, I don't think altitude plays as much a part as the fact that breaking balls don't break quite as much at at course field. They're gonna break more on the road. And I think that's a huge part of why so many runs are scored there. Um you just I mean the you know the Uncle Charlie over the top that drops, you know, three feet, just it just doesn't exist at course field. And it, it also reminded me of back in the day when Clayton Kershaw had his run. I mean Cy Young, Cy Young Cy Young, just <clears throat> a ridiculous run. He actually struggled at Coors Field and the pitch he relies on so much is that 12-6 curve. I mean, he's it's probably his most legendary pitch, I would argue. And for him to struggle so much, I mean, it's a small sample size. It's not like he starts all of his games there, but it shows you the effect that not having quite as vicious of a breaking ball can have on players. I mean, Clayton Kershaw during his run during that, you know, 4-year four-year give-or-take run, I mean, there was no pitcher in baseball that even came close. It wasn't even, you know, it wasn't even one of those things where there was an argument. He was the best. Um Granke had a year where he had like a 1-6 ERA. Um, other than that, you know, there was nothing during that entire span that would tell you that any player, or that would tell you that he would struggle at any park, uh, much less, you know, Coors Field and, you know, it's the argument's going to be there forever. Um, but to see that DJ has kind of bypassed that, you know, bias of the, you know, western side of the U.S., um, it's pretty cool to see. I never personally got to talk to DJ, join the beat too late. Um, but from what everyone says, he was, you know, he was absolutely amazing. Charlie Blackman, one of his better friends, um, said that DJ's mom texted him this morning, um dj and him hadn't even conversed about it yet but dj's mom texted him um so very close relationship um i think looking back if the rockies could know what dj would do this year obviously hindsight would tell them not to sign murphy and they would have kept dj especially because of the age i mean dj dj's only 30 daniel murphy's 34 um so age becomes a factor too um, I I haven't I haven't personally talked to Jeff Breidich about what that conversation was like. I don't even know what the talks were like with DJ Lemayhew. Once again, I just joined the beat a little too late. Um, but I would assume that the Rockies probably thought that he was going to be more expensive than they were willing to give out. And Daniel Murphy has been the more publicized, you know, star. Dan DJ Lemayhew's never gotten quite the same. Um, reverence that Daniel Murphy's ever gotten in his career, despite their careers being, you know, somewhat similar. They have the seasons over 300. They, you know, DJ has the batting title. Daniel Murphy has, you know, the second place MVP finish. Um, They've both been absolutely great baseball players, not quite to the, you know, Mike Trout, Nolan Arenado, you know, not quite to that, you know, threshold, but they've just been great for the Rockies and I think that him finally getting out was very great for him. Finally, I'm just going to touch a little on the Astro series. Um, two, you know, decent starts. Uh, nothing special. Lambert and Marquez um, both allow, you know, four or more runs. You know, and Lambert specifically today didn't have his control. Um, coming into this start, 3.6% walk rate. Um, the lowest of anyone on the Rockies staff. When um, he walked three. He walked uh, Bregman twice. Bregman's walk rate is the sixth best in the MLB. So it's not anything crazy. But Bregman also did hit a home run off of him in the first inning. Often inside fastball. And it makes you wonder if maybe he was pitching him cautiously. Which is not what the Rockies preach. Um, they preach them to pitch aggressively against any hitter. No matter who it is. Um, So, to see him walk him both times after that home run was, I think, probably not what Bud Black would like to see. Um, But, overall, I think, you know, it was first career interleague, first time facing a team like the Astros. I mean, there's not many teams with a better offense than the Astros, both from a power standpoint, from a batting eye standpoint. I mean, they strike out just about the least, walk just about the most, so the... The Astros come to the plate with a plan, so for him to do as well as he did, um, I think was a little encouraging. That ERA is over 10 in his last four starts now. Um, had the two amazing starts to start his career against the Cubs. And since then, it's it's been pretty rocky. Like I said, over 10 ERA, I believe it's 10-1-6. Um, that's, that's not going to do it. If that continues to trend downwards like that, um, I'm not even sure what the Rockies can do. They have Chi Chi down on the farm um after sending him back down. They have Freeland down there. Um they have, you know, a couple a couple other AAA starters that could possibly get a shot, but I just don't see it. I mean the Rockies are probably gonna have to stick with him at this point, and it I hope that it doesn't ruin him because When people brought up Peter Lambert as a guy that the Rockies should call up, I was vehemently against it. I said, I think it's too early. Same with Brendan Rodgers. I said, both of them, I think it's just too early. They don't have the AAA experience that I think is necessary for a player to succeed at the MLB level. And... I mean, without patting myself on the back, both of them have struggled a little bit. Brendan Rodgers um, is on the DL now, well, IL, sorry, with a right shoulder impingement. Um, and that was after he he really struggled. Towards the beginning, he was doing really well. But then he struggled so badly, they actually demoted him um, back down to AAA, brought him back up when Story got hurt, and then Rogers got hurt. Um, so I think the Rockies... They I've always thought of the Rockies as a team that always delays their promotions. I think they don't give their prospects enough of a chance a lot of times. Um but I think this year they almost overcorrected. Um brought them up a little too early. I think maybe, you know, the success that Tapia had um could have maybe played a role. Um it's hard to really say what exactly the thinking was. Um but they've struggled a little bit. The one the one area where they didn't struggle today was actually the bullpen. Um, bullpen's the one that blew the lead last night. Um, Shaw comes in, then McGee comes in. They're not able to hold the lead. Ober comes in, throws two scoreless. But at that point, it just didn't matter anymore. But tonight, Betis Diaz, Betis, Jairo Diaz, and Wade Davis combined to go four scoreless. And that was the first time the Rockies bullpen has tossed at least three scoreless innings at home since June 2nd. Um, so, you know, just over a month. Ago that they were able to do that exact same thing. Um bullpen has struggled mightily before today. Oh I believe a nine five eight ERA in their last ten home games. Um they've just struggled so much. And to see them actually put it together, I wrote it in my in my you know post-game recap. It's it was it was almost wasted. Their offense wasn't able to come back after getting down a little bit early. They wasted a couple chances against Wade Miley early. And they just weren't able to ever put it together. And it's very unfortunate because in games where the bullpen does as well as it did, the Rockies need to win those games. They need to be able to pull through with that offense at Coors Field. Um, To see them not be able to do it I think was, you know, once again a little discouraging. But Charlie Blackman goes two for three, extends his home on base streak to 32 games. Um, Fifth longest streak to start the year at home in Rockies history. And he's one away from tying Todd Helton for fourth longest at 33. Um, So he's been absolutely amazing. Won't get a chance to extend that streak until after the break. But that's about all I have for you fans. I just wanted to bring up kind of the parallels of DJ and Daniel. Um, Maybe where the Rockies may have gone the wrong direction. The fact that DJ and Charlie's months were just, I mean, unforeseen As far as the level of success they had, they probably could have both, you know, knocked about 20 points, 30 points off their batting average and still won player of the month. Um, So that just tells you how ridiculous that is. But be sure to subscribe to the podcast on however you may listen. Leave comments, leave ratings. Um, You can at me on Twitter, at Luke Zalman, if you have any comments, any questions. I'll be sure to answer them on any podcast. And I will talk to you next time, Rockies fans.